Stop making Terminator movies. We can watch Grandma fight the machines at home. <laughs> you idiot! Took me, <laughs> took me a second to catch on to that joke there, but. So, um, uh, one of your topics for all the Sunday shows over the weekend, one, of course, was impeachment, and the hearings are televised starting Wednesday. But the other was was the fact that uh, Michael Bloomberg has jumped into the race. And, um, has he officially now? Or no, he hasn't. He hasn't. Okay. He hasn't. But he's, okay. He's, uh, sort of, kind of. Sort of, kind of. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if I'd missed it. Well, he did, he did sign up in Alabama or whatever on Friday. That doesn't mean he's going to run, but he, you know, he's taking the first steps. Um... And he immediately debuts in the morning consult political poll in sixth place with 4%, which puts him behind Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Kamala Harris in the national poll, and Bloomberg now right behind her in sixth place. So he, he leapfrogged a whole bunch of people who have spent a long time and been on debate stages for many, many, many hours. He right. jumped right over them. When quickly. you initially said that, I was impressed. But if he's behind Kamala Harris... Boo! Boo! Most interesting polling, I said Mont Interton. Those aren't words. The most interesting polling I saw was the polling of the battleground states. That probably is the only place we should all really look at all. Because pretty much all the other states are going to go the direction they always go, for the most part. But what's going to happen in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Florida... Those states that go back and forth, and some of them went for Trump instead of Hillary and that sort of thing. So we're off the Democratic primary. Now we're on to the, the general? No. Well, we're still... well we're, uh, depends on how you look at it. Okay. But Biden leads the pack there. Okay. Uh, by quite a bit in those states. Oh, wow. Okay. So in the, battleground, in the battleground states where it's not Iowa and the super woke intellectual type running the show, like the Iowa caucuses are, right. uh, in your states that... You really need to beat Trump. Biden is a double digit ahead of everybody. In your moderate states. In your Wisconsin, your Pennsylvania, your Michigan, your Florida. So mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that gives pause, I'm sure, to a lot of donors. Yeah, I almost made reference to, yeah, in the battleground states, not the crazy coastal states. Florida, of course, is clearly a coastal state. It's practically all coast, but got a lot of practical oldsters there. So it's not like a Connecticut. Sean keeps reminding and it's true. They changed the laws in Florida. So uh former felons can vote now. And there's a giant number of them. I think that's the single largest variable in the difference from 2016 to 2020. Yeah, I wonder how many will show up. I guarantee it's the millions, Democrats are though, trying like crazy to out. get them to show up. That's got to be a top priority. For better or worse, or whether you think it's because it's unfair or not, it's probably heavily skewed black, former felons, and that right. uh, tends to be a Democratic vote for you. Yep. So, yeah, that could be... I a... wonder if the Democrats realize that. <laughs> justice schmush this. They just want the, jo- the votes. Well, I got a justice story It's going to make you mad, but go ahead. Uh-oh. I was just going to say, Eric Holder has been crusading around getting uh, redistricting going in Republican states. He's the former attorney general under Barack Obama. Yeah. Also mustachioed. Yes, good point. Uh, rumored to be a potential jumping in late candidate. That never happens. Nope. Um, but it's not a thing. It's fun to talk about. Why does about? everybody act like it's a thing? Like, yeah, it's exciting. You know, most presidential elections late in the game, somebody jumps in and it changes everything, and they end up the nominee. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. That's right. not happened. Right. But everybody acts like it's going to happen this time. All could happen as late as November 1st. 
<laughs> no, no, it's not going to happen. But old Eric Holder has been crusading around as part of a uh, an organization known as the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, which has all sorts of high-minded rhetoric that it that cites. But oh, here it is. It's claim it claims its efforts are aimed at simple fairness in the electoral system. Except they only attack red states. They have not done anything in any blue states. Um, like uh, Maryland, Massachusetts, or New Jersey, where the districts are totally rigged in favor of Democrats. They're just a hardcore Democrat outfit. But they've had a lot of success so far, including Virginia. Virginia recently going bluer is um, is in large part due to Holder getting redistricting done there. And so he's crusading around. It's the same thing the Republicans did back in, when they say? It was right after Obama's first election. Uh, everybody was so focused on the national thing, a bunch of Republicans went around and said, hey, we need to work really hard to sway state houses. Oh. And they got a bunch of state houses swayed and governorships and the rest of it, did a bunch of redistricting that helped them out for 10 years. Now the Democrats are doing the same thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny how these things go in cycles. Here's one more political thing that will uh, probably make Joe angry. Uh, San Francisco's district attorney race, a progressive lawyer, one named Chessa Bowden. Oh, yeah. Jones joins a growing list of progressive candidates around the country who have won district attorney races by campaigning on criminal justice reform. Listen to this. Listen to this quote from him. We were right. In voting for this campaign, the residents of San Francisco have demanded radical change and rejected calls to go back to the tough on crime era. That did not make us safer and destroyed the lives of thousands of San Franciscans. Yep. So San Francisco voters rejected the tough-on-crime era that has led to more car break-ins and more crime than anybody has seen Needles and crazy people and poop on the sidewalks and the rest of it. It's about to get markedly worse. Wow. Here's a guy who just got voted in who thinks, no, we've been too tough on crime. The fact that you can't leave your car parked... Uh, for 30 seconds without it being broken into? Yeah. That's too tough on crime. Right. Wow. Yeah, and I t- you know who votes? Hardcore activists. They vote disproportionately. That's why unions have such unholy alliances with politicians, because they can turn out their membership pretty effectively. Well, and the message is, if you're a regular person, get out and vote. Well, yeah, yeah, you really do have to. But this guy, Bodine, the new guy, um, raised by... His parents were incarcerated for the Brinks robbery and murders in 1981. They were members of the Weather Underground. They went to jail, so he was raised by other Weather Underground members. And this is a quote from... I can't remember what it's a quote from. Uh, Chessa descended from a long left-wing lineage. His great-great-uncle, Louis Bodine, was a Marcus theoretician, author of a two-volume history of the Supreme Court's influence on American government. His grandfather, Leonard Bodine, was an attorney who represented Fidel Castro and Paul Robeson. Wow. Um, this, this guy's guy, through and through. Oh, yeah. He is way, 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 way uh, left. Wow. At a time that San Francisco is in a crisis, you've gone with a guy who thinks you've been too tough on crime. That's really interesting. So the person who wrote this email talked to a a friend who is in the know, who also said she'd be more than happy to come on the show. She said um, her dad was an FBI informant and infiltrated the Weather Underground. Um, And he said everything he's told her about their goals and the way they want to achieve them 
is unfolding right before her eyes. All of this stuff about the man and we're too tough on crime and the rest of it, it's all designed to drive the system to a breaking point, a crisis point. And then you've heard this phrase, right? Old uh, Rahm Emanuel used to uh, repeat it now and again. Never let a crisis go to waste. It's the Cloward Piven strategy of you intentionally drive systems to the breaking point when then they, then they break and you craft the solution. Um, and, and we're seeing this in a lot of progressive cities. And does it seem like it's near the breaking point in a lot of ways? Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah, and one thing I found out when I had that situation with the homeless guy in my family is uh, uh, the district attorney has a real lead role in determining how these things get handled mm-hmm. um, and whether or not they think it's a big deal or not. And so if you thought the the big cities of the West Coast, if you thought San Francisco was at its New York point, where New York finally got fed up and they elected Rudy Giuliani to be mayor and said, that's enough, we can't mm-hmm. handle this anymore, and so there was a crackdown on crime. Uh, apparently San Francisco's not there, as they just have a district attorney now as the other direction. Right. Thinks they've been too tough on crime. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these things tend to be self-correcting. Hell of a lot of people get hurt and, and God forbid, killed, but killed. Or get your stuff stolen in just a really annoying lifestyle. Right. Yeah, it's it's disturbing. Yeah. But Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, going to keep going down that road a little bit further. Have to keep our eye on this guy. It'll be interesting Yikes. to follow. Meanwhile, people fleeing uh, corrupt California, among other blue locations, uh, by the droves. I saw this piece. What was the Wall Street Journal? Something about the anti-Californian fervor in Boise, Idaho. Uh, where po- folks are quickly educated, change your plates as quickly as possible. Get rid of your California plates. Take that Santa Cruz bumper sticker off of your car. There are people who go around um, uh, with with cards, like business cards. They stick them under windshield wipers that have California plates saying, we don't want you here. Go back to California. A couple of things on the way. Is it the end of Florida orange juice and French baguettes? Might be. And who's the most hated candidate in the Democratic field by the other candidates? <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Michael Bloomberg and other billionaires, sorry, you ain't going to buy this election. Yeah, so that'll be kind of interesting on stage come the 20th of this month when the uh, debate happens. You got Elizabeth has told Biden he's in the wrong party. Biden's told (laughs) Elizabeth she's making up her numbers. You got a couple of billionaires on. Well, Bloomberg won't be on stage. No, but you got the other billionaire on stage, Steyer, and and they'll be talking to Bloomberg about how they're the root of all that is evil in the world. Then you'll have your Amy Klobuchar type saying, "Listen, much more unites us than divides us. If we kill each other on this stage, how are we going to take on Trump?" And everybody say, "Shut up!" And they'll go back to killing each other on stage, as politics always goes. Who's the most disliked among them? I'll have that in a minute. We got per- this- like personally. Yeah. Okay, I can't wait for that. 
I got, um, <laughs> geez, that's, sniping. That's, that's a good impulse. Well, I'm tired of the politics of it. Oh, yeah. Let the voters decide. Uh, we got this text, and we've got a bunch of them similar to this. We got on the topic of, uh, well, it was, a, it was a parent who said, I had the attitude that only losers joined the military. This parent was willing to admit. Generally, you have that attitude because you've heard it many times from the people around you. I don't hate people who've had that attitude. I just pity them. And, uh... Had a couple of kids join the military against their wishes and completely turned their attitude around about how much it, it, it helped their kids become grown-ups and ready for the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, we got this text. I, uh, and we're doing this on Veterans Day, obviously. I started active duty Army and eventually retired from the Air National Guard. I also graduated from the California State University system. I can confirm that there was more true socioeconomic diversity in the military than college. I don't doubt that a bit. Oh, not a bit. The military opened up more opportunities for me than my college degree did. That doesn't surprise me really either. And it's unfortunate that more young people in the San Francisco Bay Area do not consider enlisting as an option. What did San Francisco do a couple of years ago? Remember, they wouldn't allow recruiting on the... Right. They tried to shove all the ROTC programs and military recruiters couldn't come on high school campuses and college campuses and that sort of thing. It's soft, utopian stupidity um, that you can only have in a safe society. A a society that's beset from outside. Nobody thinks that. Nobody. (laughs) Because it's self-evident how idiotic it is. The idea that soldiers propagate wars... I know. Come I just, on. I don't even know how to engage that conversation. I know. So. I, where do you even begin? Um, it may be the end of the road for Florida orange juice because of some dang uh, bug they got in the in the Florida oranges down there. Oof. Sorry to, to hear that. There, there's a name for it. It's like uh, orange herpes or something like that. Something like that. I, I, I'd imagine if you're an orange grower, you know what it is. And if you're not, you don't need to. <laughs> That's probably a decent well, Some point. horrendous affliction to oranges. Yeah, so that so that's bad news for oranges. Sorry to hear uh, that. The end of Florida <laughs> orange juice. There are so many dead and dying Florida groves thanks to a citrus disease that scientists compare to HIV that some economists have administered uh, last rights to the state's $9 billion citrus industry. So that yeah. could be the end of that. And... Uh, France is uh, go, the, the 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 small bakeries that have been making famous French breads and baguettes for centuries are going away and being replaced by vending machines. Oof! Which doesn't sound near as charming. That's a loss of charm right there. Probably not as delicious. Your local baker. And I, oh man, that, that kind of hurt my soul. And I thought, you know, things change. They just they do. I mean, for the worse. Often. Often for hell. the worst. World's going to hell. Often for the worst. But the idea... Rotten oranges, nowhere to get a baguette. The idea of, of <laughs> going from flavorful from the cow milk to completely tasteless pasteurized milk, I'm sure was uh, painful for people who lived through it. But then you get used to flavorless pasteurized milk and you just move on with your life. It's vastly cheaper, more readily available, safer. Not that the old stuff was terribly unsafe, but... These are all improvements, Jack, which we'll be discussing during the uh, the new podcast, our new book club podcast we're recording tomorrow with Tim Lawyer and Craig, the uh, healthcare guru. And i got to fit this in before we do our news tease. In the still-crowded Democratic presidential field, one man has triggered an outpouring of resentment and angst. Yes. And it's not Donald Trump, according to the New York Times. 
Pete Buttigieg, the millennial mayor of a small town. Did not see that coming. Has struck a nerve with Democratic rivals. Wow. Uh, They believe that his uh, record is not commensurate with the attention he's receiving. The New York Times goes on to point out that Hillary and a lot of others were really annoyed when Barack Obama got in and was getting a lot of attention. Yeah. He ended up winning, if you'll remember. Yeah. So uh, sometimes they just don't like somebody new coming on. No, wait. I've earned all these stripes. It's my turn. Exactly. It's my turn. Yeah. Barack Obama was a nobody, really. And how he got his Senate seat was like the just lucky. Mm-hmm. But that weird ain't the way scandal. we decided. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a weird sex scandal in Illinois. The guy who was going to win going away got knocked out, humiliated, and all of a sudden, well, who's left? This guy, Barack Obama's, Obama. Barack Obama's Senate experience wasn't significantly more than Pete Buttigieg's mayoral experience in terms of being ready for president. No, no. Um, and you can get up to speed on most sure. of that stuff. Yeah. It has to do with being an effective manager and, and having good judgment. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the back and forth continues. Former White House Chief of Staff Kelly firing back at Nikki Haley's resistance comments. Hong Kong's ominous warning to protesters. And I've been vindicated more reports about the nation's feathered menace, turkeys rampaging and terrifying communities. Particularly against older people. Yes. Turkey the bird, not the country. Correct. Exactly. Stay tuned. All right. Hmm. 50. Happy slash respectful Veterans Day. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, the first public impeachment hearings are set for Wednesday. They're going to be Wednesday. Yay! They're going to be Wednesday and Friday, and all the major networks say they are going to carry those hearings live. We'll oh. do it live! All day long? Hours and hours of them? Gavel to gavel is what I'm hearing. It's practically zero chance he gets impeached and removed. These are digging up campaign dirt hearings, Marshall. And you're complicit in them, aren't you? Aren't you? State Department officials William Taylor and George Kent will be the first to appear. They've already done their closed-door hearings. There are right. already transcripts out of what they and, uh, were saying. And so the ho- the only hope is that people are going to watch it on TV and feel differently? I mean, any... Any bombshells would already have been out. I mean, so there's nothing new that can happen. The biggest bombshells are out, and they weren't very bombshelly. Right. Um, I, I think if somebody could really, really nail down Rudy's various conflicts of interest and what he was doing in Ukraine, because there are times when he was just serving himself, other times he was serving the country, other times he was serving Donald Trump personally. If they could make that look really ugly and mobbed up and dumb and the rest of it. In a way that I, they didn't last week behind closed doors? Yes. Just do a better job of it? Yeah, or have somebody more compelling talking about it. Um, there's a teeny tiny chance it would increase the uh, grounds for removal, but there's a decent chance it would add to people's Trump fatigue for the election. Now, his supporters are probably going to hang with him anyway, but that's the only thing I can think of that would really do him much good. And then you got the percentage of people that are going to watch it all or will ever see the clips, which I don't know how many people that'll be. I mean, having some nameless diplomat say, well, yeah, it did seem like there was a quid pro quo and that uh, he was asking Ukraine to investigate his political rival. I mean, that's, that's not going to mean anything to anybody. Former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly's responding to an allegation in former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley's new book. Kelly said his goal was to make sure the president could make an informed decision, but Haley is claiming in her book, With All Due Respect, 
that Kelly and former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson approached her to ask that she help undermine President Trump for the good of the country. During the TV interviews over the weekend, she said she refused. Instead of saying that to me, they should have been saying that to the president. Not asking me to join them on their sidebar plan. It should have been, go tell the president what your differences are and quit if you don't like what he's doing. Now, Kelly, John Kelly said that if providing, quote, with the best and the most open legal and ethical staffing advice from across the government so he could make an informed decision is working against Trump, then guilty as charged. And Tillerson, um, Tillerson didn't like Trump's foreign policy, is what Nikki Haley says. That was his beef. That's what she claims. Hong Kong's leader says her administration will, quote, spare no effort in bringing an end to the anti-government protests that have racked the city for more than five months. Carrie Lam spoke during a day of spiraling violence that included the shooting by police of an unarmed, pro- unarmed protester and the setting on fire of a man during an argument over national identity. Yeah, violence I'd say will only lead to oh, sorry, more Carrie. violence. No, no disrespect intended. Satisfy rioters because they have resorted to violence. I can assure you that more violence will follow. I think at the point that you're uh. shooting people in the belly and setting others on fire, things have gotten pretty ugly. Yeah, Lamb's comments likely to fuel a lot of speculation that harsher uh, police measures may indeed be in the works. But how, how does, to be fair to, well, I don't need to be fair to China. I don't care about being fair to China. But how would you handle it as a city if you got protesters that are shutting down your city? One of the financial hubs of the world. People can't get on mass transit. They can't go to the airport. They can't drive down the streets. Yeah, that, and when you approach them with, as a police and say, get out of here, they won't leave. That's why I don't love this as a strategy by the hardcore protesters, because I want them to win. But I think this is going to end in an enormous crackdown, jailings, shootings, clubbings, etc. And then they become a, a violent guerrilla force for the next 50 years. I don't know. Just announced the FBI is going to join the investigation into the massacre that left nine people dead last week in Mexico. Three women, six kids who are members of a Mormon community shot dead in the mountains last week after uh, suspect drug cartels opened fire on them on a dirt road in Sonora. That uh, confirmation comes as more than 100 Mormons living south of the border have now fled to the U.S. since those murders. They are getting out as fast as they can. And we got a new city ordinance banning people from sleeping on sidewalks or in residential areas in Las Vegas if there are shelter beds available now in effect. This is part of the new homeless ordinance that was passed last week. Hey, Laboratories of Democracy, I want to see how this works. And if it works, hey, rest of West Coast cities, let's try it out. The feathered menace, wild turkeys on the move after I have been reporting various attacks on myself and others for years in my neighborhood. Now there's an aggressive gaggle of 60 wild turkeys terrorizing a 55 and older community in New Jersey. The turkeys are taking over. It's like an infestation. I can't get out of my door. Sometimes I can't get out of my car. People think it's a laughing matter. Yes, it's a I serious do. matter. When I can't get out of my house to get in the car because they won't go away and you can't get them to go away and they go to bite you. Yes, it's I, a problem. I saw They've broken a windows in people's give me houses a dirty when they look the It's day. something to be taken seriously. It was clearly trying to intimidate me. <laughs> Biting and breaking windows. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. We're going to talk to one of our friends of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Mike Lines, military strategist about Veterans Day. Coming up on the NG Show. Armstrong and Getty. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. 101 years ago today, World War I ended. And a year later, we started celebrating something called Armistice Day on November 11th to honor the end of the worst conflict in world, conflict in world history, which unfortunately was surpassed a short time later, and there have been many wars since. Um, and for quite a while now, we've called it Veterans Day, and we thought we'd have on um, a guy we've had on the show for many years now is our military analyst. If there's a, a war somewhere or some domestic discussion of our military or whatever, we have Mike Lyons on, but we thought it'd be a good time to have him on on this Veterans Day to talk a little broader about this day. And we've invited Mike Lyons, military analyst for CBS News, frequent guest on the Armstrong and Getty Show, to chat with us about Veterans Day. Mike, how are you, sir? Uh, good morning, guys, and thanks so much for having me, especially on Veterans Day today. I really appreciate it. You know, it's funny. I was just saying to Jack before we jump back on the air with you that the the difficulty here is to encapsulate this chat into a few minutes as opposed to like a two, three-hour podcast as we talk about service and uh, America's relationship to its military in days gone by and, and yep. currently and um, and how we tend to take our, our fighting men and women for granted, in my opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think of when it comes around to Veterans Day? What's foremost in your mind? Yeah, I'm just glad it matters again. You know, I, when I first got in the military early on, I would go out and tell people I was in the military, and I had people say to me, oh, I didn't think anybody did that anymore. And, uh, you know, that was at that end of that terrible Vietnam era where we blamed our soldiers for that situation that happened on the ground there. And I'm glad we've come full circle now. We no longer blame our soldiers, and, and I'm grateful for those Vietnam veterans that, that withstood a tremendous hardship and had to deal with um, a lot of things that they shouldn't have had, had to do. And I'm glad that we're grateful for our veterans now. Again, I'm glad it's come full circle. And, and I think most veterans feel it's not about, you know, it's not about me. It's about the other veterans. And to me, it's always been about those Vietnam veterans. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, the World War II veterans and the Korean War veterans. And it's always about that other generation. And I'm glad um, that, that we, we no longer um, take those veterans for granted. What's something that should be thought about on Veterans Day? Um, aside from the things you just said, should we be talking about the state of our military, the state of conflicts around the world, whether or not we should be in them or not? What, 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 which direction there? You know, I always, I'm a numbers guy, and I look at some of the numbers here, and the reason why you look on social media today and all of the Remembrance Day for the British military and uh, the Canadian forces, you've got to think about the numbers that some of those countries lost in, in those wars. 800,000 alone, World War One, the British Army uh, took. Um, you know, we, we haven't had those kind of casualties since the Civil War, and in our country, every, every life is, is so valuable. So I, I think that we, we we forget that we still do live in the in the safest time in the history of the world, and there hasn't been this uh, this mass of of, uh, of, uh, of warfare, and we don't have the mass casualties anymore. Now we're we're, we're a heartbeat away, we're a matchstick away. We, you know, it, it could happen any time. Obviously, with the nuclear weapons we have, and but I, I think that um, we should look at what's what we're doing more for now, and we should look at as to where we're deploying troops, and we should you know we shouldn't necessarily try to bring soldiers home. We should recognize that we've got to figure out where we need to put them in places that keep us safe here on the homeland. I've read a couple of books recently that have made the point that most societies through history have had a very specific, very important process of welcoming men back from war. Everybody Mm -hmm. knew how to do that and when to do that. And the idea that you would just get off a plane and wander back to your apartment or your home or whatever is is a modern uh, thing and and not a healthy thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I I have a feeling you know what I'm driving at. Um, yeah. any thoughts on that? How to better welcome warriors back 
from from war and conflict. Yeah, I think that um, in today's world, there's this focus on having them have jobs. I think that's so important right now. We've got to look at the the mental health aspects because when you go into a war zone, it's um, it's not like anything normal society and and what happens there and what you see there. And then you kind of cross this line back. You get on that plane. And you go home. I, I can I never forget going there, and, and 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 as I'm landing, looking at the the anti-aircraft guns that were surrounding the airport, and I'm going, boy, this is this is on. And then leaving, having that same feeling of um, going back to the world, we, as we say back then. But um, no question, that transition to get to get a job and to be welcomed back is is important. And again, we didn't always do it. I think we're doing a better job of it now. Unfortunately, there's people out there trying to take advantage of it as well. But um, if you can look at, uh, you know, at a veteran that you could possibly hire for your, for your work, I, I'd give that person another look. And look, everybody is very competitive out there and, and everything is like, but I, I'll tell you that veteran will do whatever they can to, to make sure that the job gets done. I was just looking at your resume up on our screen here. I was about to reintroduce you as Mike Lyons, our military analyst that we talked to on all things military over the years and thought we'd have you on on Veterans Day. But what particular... Um, military, I want to say adventure, but that's probably not the right word, uh, mission, uh, are you most proud of being a part of? Yeah, it's easy. I took 120 men into combat and took 120 men back home to their families, and I'll never accomplish anything that'll have that same magnitude or that same value. Um, you know, that's something that I've always, you know, it's hard, it, you know, when you go on a job interview and you try to tell it to somebody and they kind of look at you side-eyed, but, but for the men that it I serve with, it's something that, um, you know, we know that we did. And, and look, I had a lot, we had a lot of luck. We had a lot of things, but I had a job to do in combat. And, I, you know, everybody had to do their job in combat. And I think that, um, you know, for me, that's, uh, it, it, nothing will ever come. I, I could do a lot of things in my life going forward, and I'll, I'll never come anything close to that one. I saw a poll yesterday that it's something like half or slightly more than half of service people are, are, are uncomfortable when people say thank you for your service. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of people who mean it. Sincerely, I think of course. It's, it's kind of an easy thing to do for other people. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that or alternatives or, or anything? Yeah, no, I'm grateful for that, too. I, I When people make a big deal about that, I, I don't know why. I went to, Someone says that to me. I, I truly thank them for saying that to me. And, you know, I volunteered. I raised my hand. I knew what I was getting into. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen on a lot of levels, you know, back in the early 80s. And I can tell you, a lot of people never think it, think it was going to. But I was well prepared. I trained my whole adult life for that job. And, um, but no, I, I don't, I'm not a cynic. I don't look at that cynically. I think someone's grateful when they say that. And, and look, there's, there's people that, um, want to serve that can't, can't serve, couldn't serve, whatever the case may be. Um, if that's what, you know, they can do to help out a veteran, I think that's fine. But it, it's not something that, it doesn't make me any better than them or, or anything else. But I, I have no problem with that. And again, I watched reports, the younger generation, or some people get excited about that, like, you know, they, they deserve something from it. It just is not the case for me. Mike Lyons, military analyst uh, for CBS News and, and frequently for us as well. Uh, Mike, we really appreciate the time and, and your thoughts. And, you know, let's continue this discussion on another day because it will always be relevant. Yeah, sounds good, guys. And thanks for everything that you do for our active forces and vets and everything and getting the word out. And uh, it's uh, it's something I, I really appreciate for what you guys do. Right. Well, thank, thank you for saying that. I think we're all called to serve our country in whatever ways we find appropriate. Thanks, Mike. That's a pretty good Veterans Day conversation. And his highlight that he hit us with, that that's, you know, that'd make more of a mark on you than, I increased quarterly sales for Limspitz Corporation. Right, right. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because we're not no, all going to lead off. Limspitz is a fine outfit. They 
We're all not gonna. We're not going to all or have the ability to lead up, you know people into battle and out and that sort of thing. But that uh, that's something, right? Yeah, I. I... <sighs> Uh, we were pressed for time. I did kind of a poor job of asking one of the questions about um, helping vets readjust. And it's the and, and Dave Grossman has written about this in his book on killing and Sebastian Younger's tribe, which I've mentioned many times. Um, they do a really good job of explaining how in days gone by and in smaller civilizations in particular, there was a period of time, an inevitable period of time from the battlefield back to the home front often it was months of travel and being uh, uh, you know mustered out and filling out forms and going through exams and the rest of it all the while being surrounded by your fellow soldiers and talking through what had happened and what you'd seen and then bit by bit by bit you're injected back into the real world um and there were ceremonies there were traditions practically every family had been to war and grandma remembered how it was when grandpa came back from war and the rest of it. And it was everybody knew what to say and what to do and what the rituals were as opposed to. And and you know how jarring it is. You get on a airplane, uh, you know, you're in a in an airport in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And a few hours later, you're in the Bahamas. Well, imagine being in a battle zone and then half a day later you're there in you know suburban america with people bitching about the traffic or the price of whatever and you're disconnected from your guys and your unit and your purpose and the rest of it it's got to be incredibly jarring yeah my I brother think we got to do a better job of that my brother has described a similar sorts of situations and it happens so fast right right which matters yeah to it so, i like that so, <laughs> I, I realize you know you don't need to understand all the words in pop music but i was a little uh, mystified by here's it. your host joe getty is there something about a happy ending i hope i not. don't approve all right uh, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew there he is michelangelo final fire away michael all right thank you to all the men and military uh, men and women in the military thank you for your service personal sacrifices and remember all the fallen soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice here, here. Well said. Marshall Phillips, our esteemed newsman. I want to give a tip of the hat to my uh, dad who uh, served in the Army during World War II and a tip of the cap to a lot of my friends who served in various conflicts over the years, including Vietnam. Thank you. Positive Sean. Final thought. Yes, my grandfather was a uh, veteran of World War II. He was on the USS Houston, a ship that got shot down in the Pacific. He was one of only several hundred that uh, made it uh, out of it alive, swam to shore, was a prisoner of war for several years. If you would like to read about the story of the of that ship, it is called The Ship of Ghosts, book by James uh, Hornfisher, and you should read it and check it out if you're interested in that sort of thing. Jack, final thought for us? Yeah, we need to do a good job for these people after they have um, served our country. We've got 46,000 agencies that provide services to veterans, but it's incredibly difficult to navigate. There's a new startup that's just begun. We'll tell you more about if it gets up and running and doing a good job. It's going to try to make it simpler for everybody to navigate all that stuff. Yeah, I'm. my final thought is I'm pro-parade, and I'm pro-saying thank you for your service. But quoting um, J. 
General William Sherman. I am sick and tired of war. Its glory is all moonshine. It is only those who have neither fired nor shot nor heard the shrieks and groans of the wounded who cry aloud for blood, for vengeance, for desolation. War is hell. I would like to see more people dedicating their lives to reforming our veterans' agencies and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing for the men and women who endured that hell. That's the way we can serve. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. We'll see you tomorrow. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. It's impeachment week. Yay! God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say okay. that. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> that sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? To each veteran of the war, the glory of your deeds will only grow greater with time. This city is graced by your presence. This nation is forever in your debt, and we thank you all. Armstrong and Getty.